Today we are kicking off a Christmas sermon, sermon series in... I can't say that. I cannot say... Today we're going to preach... I'm going to preach from the Bible. And there's a holiday that is Christmas that is coming up. And we're going to preach messages that revolve around that holiday. We are kicking off a Christmas sermon series entitled Glorious Announcement that will keep us in the book of Colossians, Lord willing, for the next four Sundays. And that's the approach we've chosen to take this year as we look forward with great anticipation to celebrate the birth of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Glorious Announcement. Now, if you received my email, which I hope you did, that I send out every week on Friday, I want to encourage you to consider working Colossians into your regular Bible reading routine somehow. It's only four chapters long, so it's usually and what I like to call an easy add-on. So I don't know what you're doing, how you roll when it comes to your time with the Lord and your time in the Word. I don't know if you're reading through the Bible in a year or reading a chapter a day or a little old Psalms, Proverbs, a little new. There's a lot of different ways to do that. I don't know what you're doing, but whatever you're doing, Colossians. I think offers a pretty easy way to add that on to your Bible reading if you wanted to say, you know what, I'm going to really focus in Colossians to familiarize myself with the text while our church body is familiarizing itself with the text as well through the sermon series. Um, So if you started tomorrow, let's say, and read a chapter a day between now and the end of the month, you'll have read the book a little over six times. Two chapters a day gets you through the book about a dozen times. And if you were to read two chapters in the morning and two in the evening, you'll have read Colossians a whopping 25 times. So reading through a book of the Bible, a small one like Colossians, repeatedly will serve you well. I don't know if you've ever done that before, taking just a a chunk of scripture and work that into your Bible reading uh, routine. You'll be surprised how much you memorize. I mean, you can try to memorize, but there's going to be stuff that's just going to pop out to you because you're spending so much time in that portion of scripture. And it'll serve you well to really familiarize yourself with uh, this book of Colossians. So I would encourage you to do that, think about that, pray about that, and to do that on your own. I ask you to turn to Colossians chapter 3. So take a look at verse 11. Verse 11, and we're just going to look at that verse just for one moment. Verse 11 says this. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free. But Now focus on this. But Christ is all and in all. Christ is all and in all. One might say that's the theme of the book of Colossians. Christ is all and in all. That's whose birth we celebrate at Christmas. That's the one whom scripture says is all and in all. Look at that verse again. Look at the last part. Christ is all and in all. Let that sink in. That's the theme of the book of Colossians. But this is a Christmas sermon series. So let's look at it this way. That's the baby in the manger. Uh, That's who we celebrate having come to earth. He is all, he is in all, and that's quite a glorious announcement. And that will be the theme to some degree to each of the glorious announcements we focus on for the rest of this series. Christ is all and in all. Now, as Christians, hopefully we do better than the world that completely removes Jesus from the Christmas season. Hopefully we do, and by and large, particularly in our church, I think we probably do. I mean, I'm sure we shop and I'm sure we bake and I'm sure we string lights and buy trees. We just did that yesterday. We bought a tree and, 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 and brought, it up to the, brought it upstairs and set it up and start to untie it. And every year, Sarah and I look at each other and we make a joke. We go, a lot of sap in here, a little full, a lot of sap. Anybody get that? 
little Christmas movie humor. Anyway, moving on. So we, I'm, I'm sure you, there's certain movies you watch every year. I'm sure you drink eggnog with the best of them. But I'm pretty familiar with the flock God has here at Grace Fellowship Church. And I think, I think by and large, we probably do better than the world when it comes to remembering the true meaning of Christmas. After all, Jesus is the reason for the season. Right. We keep who in Christmas? We keep Christ in Christmas. We read Christmas devotionals. We look at manger scenes. Uh, we, we, we focus on certain verses when it comes to Advent. We post stuff on Instagram. I think we do a good job of remembering the cradle at Christmas. But here's the glorious announcement. Christ is all and in all. The manger scene, the baby born to Mary in Bethlehem is God. Not like God, not part God, not God-ish, not half God, not isn't that cute one day he'll grow up to be a nice God. Jesus always was, is, and always will be very God. It seems as if these days there seems to be an emphasis and sometimes an overemphasis on the fact that Jesus was and is a human, a man. And that's important to remember, right? It's important to acknowledge the humanity of Christ. It's important to remember that our Savior was hungry and, and thirsty and cried when he was sad and rested when he was tired and, and needed to bathe and used his hands to work and was tempted as we are but sinned not. That's important to remember. And it's important to remember that he was the greatest teacher ever and loved the unlovable and came to preach good news and that throngs of people wanted to be around him. But listen, the fact that he was a great teacher and the fact that he loved the unlovable and the fact that he came to preach good news and the fact that the crowds followed him, all of that is true. But listen, it's not terribly unique. It's not terribly unique. It's not Jesus specific. In fact, it could be said about a wide variety of other human beings in the world. The only thing that takes Jesus beyond the, the, the role model category that anyone can be in is the fact that he is not only a really, really, really cool human, not only 100% human, but 100% God, not 50, 50. You say that doesn't add up. I say deal with it. It's called the, the hypostatic union. It's not supposed to add up. Jesus was one was, and is 100% God and 100% man. He's no less one than he is the other. And that my friends is when the crowd thins both in scripture and in our day and age today. Lots of people crowded around Jesus. Lots of people wanted to hear him teach. Lots of people wanted to see him perform miracles. Who doesn't want to see a guy walk on water? Lots of people want to see that stuff. But if you were to read a chapter of scripture, for example, like John chapter 6, and you look at what, which we're not going to look at today, but if you were to look at the number of people in the beginning of the chapter and the number of people in the end of the chapter, it's very different. It's very different because in the beginning of the chapter, Jesus is doing all sorts of things that people want to see. He's doing all sorts of great works that serve people. Then as you get down the, through the chapter, Jesus starts to say things that make people feel a little awkward and make people not want to be around him anymore. And all of a sudden, Jesus isn't feeding 5,000 people and he's not saying easy things, but he's saying things like, you have to eat of my flesh if you want to inherit the kingdom of life. And they're like, um, we got to go. We got that, we got that thing. I don't know what it is. We'll figure it. We got to, and they don't want to be around him. But friends, there's nothing new under the sun. 
You can get people nowadays to talk about how great a guy Jesus was. For the most part, you can get the common American to talk about the fact that Jesus was, at the very least, a likable guy. You can get people to agree on the fact that there's much to be admired. Be the one in the crowd to say Jesus is God. And many times, that's when the awkward silence comes in. Or that's when the subject has changed. Or that's when people kind of smile. Or that's when the record, like all of a sudden, it's the awkward time in the room. Because you just said that Jesus isn't awesome, isn't really cool, isn't a hero of your life. But that Jesus is God. Many times that's when the believers separate from the unbelievers. Because if someone believes in Jesus but doesn't believe he is God, that person is not a Christian. You say, whoa, that's a pretty broad brushstroke for a Sunday morning. I know, but I'll say it again. You cannot be a Christian and believe, believe that Jesus was anything less than God. You cannot be a Christian and not embrace the doctrine of the deity of Jesus Christ. It's it's that important that you believe that about the baby in the manger scene. He is God. Because if you don't believe he's God, you don't believe he's sinless. And if you don't believe he's sinless, then he's not a perfect sacrifice on the cross. If he's not a perfect sacrifice, he's just like any other sacrifice that would have been made for sin. Any other lamb, ram, pigeon, or whatever. And then Jesus' death on the cross doesn't stand out among anyone or anything else's. If, if Jesus' death is like, just like anyone else's death, fat lot of good that does us. If Jesus' death was just like another guy who was really good but died, you and I are still stuck in our trespasses and sins and headed to a fiery hell with no hope, no help, because the payment that was paid was not paid in full. That's how big a deal this glorious announcement is. It's not just, yay, Jesus is God. Yay, it's Christmas. Yay, let's sing a song. Yay, the smell of pine. It's a big deal. Jesus is God. And it's a glorious announcement and one that we should take very seriously. The doctrine of the deity of Christ is absolutely positively essential to embrace for salvation. If someone says they are a Christian, they claim to be saved, but says, ah, Jesus wasn't God... They are not saved. If someone is saved and truly saved and truly loves the Lord, they believe that Jesus is God. Now, they don't have to be able to explain it. Who can explain it? Nobody can explain it. I mean, these things are a mystery. But to be able to believe, to see from the scriptures that Jesus is God, which we'll look at in a moment, is something that Christians need to be able to embrace and hold dear to our hearts. It's an essential part of our faith. And so the glorious announcement we'll look at today is this. God entered the world through Mary's womb. God entered the world through Mary's womb. Jesus is God. Now, turn back in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. Now, Paul is writing to Christians in the church at Colossae. The letter is what we would call, or what I'm calling today, a preventative letter. It's not a correction. Right? You read some letters, some portions of scripture, we're like, whoa, this is a correction. This is a, a course correction. This is, a, th- this is something that the writer is writing, like when Paul's writing to the, the church at Corinth. That's a corrective letter. You've gone this way, you need to do this. You've done that, you need to do that. This is not the case. This is not a corrective letter. It's a, it's a preventative letter. It's a, it's a heads up, if you will. 
See, the church at Colossae hadn't gone off the deep end, but a man by the name of Epaphras made a journey of over a thousand miles from Colossae to visit Paul in a Roman prison cell. Now, in that day and age, if you're going to make a journey over the course of a thousand miles, the fastest way of which you'd be able to do that is by horse. You probably really had something on your mind and heart. It wasn't like, yeah, it's not a big deal. I'll buy an airplane ticket. Epaphras was concerned and he travels all the way to a Roman prison cell to speak to Paul to say, listen, here's what's going on. I need help. And that the church needed a warning against false teaching that was going, that was impending or or coming into the church, or at least in the culture at the time that might've infiltrated the church. So the people Paul writes to, they're, they're saved, they're Christians. They've been given the gift of saving faith. And because they're Christians, they believe that Jesus is God. One implies the other. So when Paul writes this letter, he's writing to them, assuming they believe Jesus is God based on the fact that they're Christians. But he knows trouble is coming because Epaphras has told him of the false teaching that was creeping in. So Paul prays and he writes these words that I want to look at. Just as we read a large portion of text right now in Colossians chapter 1, beginning in verse 3. Colossians chapter 1, beginning in verse 3. Well, if we're going to begin at verse 3, let's just begin at verse 1. Colossians 1, verse 1. This is what the word of God says. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, Grace to you and peace from God, our father. We always thank God, the father of our Lord Jesus Christ. When we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven of this, you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world, it is bearing fruit and increasing as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God and truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the spirit. Verse nine. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation for by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things and in him, all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent for in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself, all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, 
doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Father in heaven, we come before you today asking that you would add your blessing to the reading and the preaching of your holy word. Lord, we come before you not opening this book flippantly, not reading these words flippantly, thinking, well, it's just something we can read and just get something out of. We need you to work within us. Holy Spirit, we need you to work within our hearts and our minds to be changed, to understand these things, for they are high. They're not low. We are low. You are high. So, Lord, would you bridge that gap of misunderstanding? Lord, would you help us to understand your truth as we seek to celebrate the birth of our Savior, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. So here's the approach I'd like to take. If you believe uh, Jesus is God, I want to show you four things, four things that you can bank on seeing in your life that will be proof positive that you believe the babe in the manger is the God of the universe. So four things to look for in your life, four things to consider this Christmas season as we reflect on the glorious announcement that Jesus is God. So in one respect, we can look at it from an apologetic standpoint, right? How do we prove that Jesus is God? How do we answer questions to other people who say that Jesus is not God? How do we, how do we respond to people who are skeptical? And that's all well and good. But I want to take a different approach and look at us as if we're not here just to make sure that we're prepared to give other people an answer, although that's very important. What I want to do is make sure that we look at God's word and that we look at ourselves, And that we look at the truth of God's word and the fact that Jesus is God and say, if this is true, which I wholeheartedly believe, what impact would it have on me? What impact would it have on my life? If I wholeheartedly believe that Jesus is God, which I would say, I would, I would say for the, I, I don't know every person in here, but the vast majority of us would probably say, yes, I believe that Jesus is God because I know the vast majority of us are Christians. But instead of just saying that, what impact does it have on our life? What will we look for in our own lives if Jesus is in fact God? So what I want to do is I want to look at verse 9. Colossians 1 and verse 9. Here we see what Paul is praying for these Christians. Verse 9 says, And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you. And then he says what he's been praying for them. So he says in verse 9, And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So what I'd like to say this morning is that if you believe that the babe in the manger is God, you'll grow in your knowledge of his will for your life. And so many times there's so much confusion as to what the will of God is for our lives. Many people who love the Lord say, I love the Lord, but here's what I'm wondering. What's God's will for my life? Uh, what is his will? What, what is going to happen to me? What does he want me to do? Do I go left? Do I go right? Do I stay on the straight and narrow? What do I do? And the subject of God's will is one that is very confusing to many. Now, we're not going to get too much into that today, but suffice to say, there's lots I don't know about what God's will is for me tomorrow and what the future holds and where I'll be in 10 years or in 10 months or for that matter, 10 minutes or 10 seconds. However, 
There's a lot I do know about his will for me today, right now, because God's will has been revealed to me in his scriptures. And the more I know God's word, the more I'll be better able to navigate his will for my life in general, and then also face his, and, and then also his will for my life during those uncertain times I may face in life when they come. Second Peter 3 and verse 18 encourages us to grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, we talk a lot about the importance of the Bible and reading the Bible and practicing the Bible and counseling the Bible and to, to, to read, the, not giving counsel to the Bible, but counseling the word, bring, serving the word to others in a way that is helpful to them and applying the word of God to our lives. We talk a lot about that at Grace Fellowship Church. But do you know why? It's just the Bible. You're like a church and all. You see, it's not just to check off our religious to-do list, read my Bible, Oh, got it done. It's not, just be, it's not just a list of routines. See, the church at Colossae was battling two things, a pagan influence, but then also a legalistic influence. To say we just, to say we just please God or we just experience fullness in, in our walk with the Lord by just checking off a little box, checking off a box, that's legalism. To say that's what's pleasing to God and we do that in order to gain brownie points with God, that's not true. That's not why we read our Bibles. We read our Bibles because we want to hear from the God-man himself, Jesus Christ. Keep your finger in Colossians and turn back to the Gospel of John. I want you to see something in the Gospel of John beginning in the first chapter. See, there's a greater reason that we read the Word of God and it's not just so we check off something from a list or say we got to do something or to feel good about ourselves. John chapter 1, beginning in verse 1, says this. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Three times in the first verse of the first chapter of the Gospel of John, Jesus Christ is referred to as the the Word. We read our Bibles not just to check off a to-do list, but we read our Bibles because we want to hear of the God-man himself. We want to hear from Jesus. Skip down to verse 14. John 1 and verse 14 says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus Christ is referred to as the word made flesh. The word was made flesh and dwelt among us. He was the word before he was made flesh. And then he was made flesh and dwelt among sinful human beings like you and like me. The word became flesh. In your outline, I have Hebrews uh, chapter 1 beginning in verse 1 and 2. Long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But look at verse 2. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by what? His son, whom he appointed the heir of all things through whom also he created the world. Okay, more verses, more information that we get from the Bible, more truth that we get from the Bible to say that Jesus is God. It was through Jesus that the world was created. And we read our Bibles because Jesus is the word. And from the moment Paul heard of the Colossians' salvation, back in Colossians chapter 1, he prayed in verse 9 that they'd be filled with the knowledge of his will. In all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And as Christians, 
We believe Jesus is God. And since we believe Jesus is God, we want to hear from him. And the way we hear from Jesus is through his word. Jesus is the word. Now, I understand this is a book. It's not like, wow, if this is Jesus, I really shouldn't leave this on the dash of my car because I'm, Jesus is fading because of the color. No, we're not talking about this item. Okay, this is paper and a binding and ink. But the truth contained within the Bible, God would have you understand that that is none other than Jesus Christ. It's not, oh, it's lots of books with holy, holy words and writings. Jesus Christ. He gets all the glory. He gets all the credit for the truth contained within Scripture. He is the Word. So I want to ask you a question. Where do you go to be filled with wisdom and understanding? To whom or what do you look when you are empty and need to be filled? Think about that for a minute. When there's an emptiness, when there's a void, when there's a vacuum within your life, to whom or to what do you turn to to be filled? See, the heretics in, in, in the church of Colossae or, or in the surrounding areas of Colossae would talk a lot about the need to be filled and would present heretical Gnostic ways of being filled, some of which are pagan, some of which are religious and legalistic. In fact, look in your Bibles. It's no accident Paul uses these terms of being filled. You see that in verse 9, that, that word filled? But if you skip ahead in verse 19, it's also no accident that, that he says that in Christ the fullness of God was pleased to dwell Because God the Son is the only one who offers fullness for what is lacking in our lives. So it's no coincidence that Paul uses these words, particularly in this letter, particularly to this church. And he says, guess what? Fullness can be found right here in Jesus Christ. You want fullness? It's Jesus that you need to look to. Because they were being told in order to be filled, they needed to look elsewhere. In order to be filled, they couldn't look at Jesus if he was, if, if he was fleshly. Because how could anything good come from, uh, uh, from someone who was made of mere flesh? And that was a, a dualistic mentality, right? Meaning that there was good things that were non-fleshly and bad things that were fleshly. So the fact that Jesus would be 100% God but also 100% Man would mean that, that he would be null and void. And these Gnostics were saying that this, is, this cannot be the case. This cannot be the case because they had this dualistic mentality that it's either one or the other. When in reality, Jesus was both and 100% God and 100% man. So they were telling them that there's all sorts of other places they needed to look to be filled. To get that hole filled in their heart. To get their lives to be filled, feel as if they were, had fullness of life and had lived life to the fullest. So it's no coincidence that Paul uses these words like we see in verse 9 and verse 19. He's saying, hey, fullness, I got fullness. It's in Jesus. You want to be filled? Look, you can be filled in Jesus. But here's the thing. It's the same in our day as it was in the day of the Colossians. Maybe worse because we have access to so many more things to turn to than people did 2,000 years ago. When your knowledge tank is empty and you're in need of wisdom, you're in need of comfort, where do you go for a fill-up? It's a lot easier to go to other people at times. It's a lot easier to go to other other people that you know, 
people that are in your life that you can have a conversation with, that you can talk to. And there's not necessarily something wrong with that. Maybe you look to a certain blog that you follow. Maybe it's a certain PhD that you admire. Maybe it's the next latest, greatest parenting book. Uh, Maybe you compare yourselves to someone else so that you can feel better about yourself. Maybe in so doing, you end up feeling worse about yourself because you're looking for love, quite frankly, in all the wrong places. You're looking to be filled from things that were never meant to fill us. Uh, Sometimes our ears perk up when we hear somebody say something that makes us feel like they get us. Man, that's so me. I, I can resonate with what that guy is saying. That lady nailed it. She gets me. He gets me. She feels me. I, I, I know what she's, what she's talking about. She knows what I'm going through. If you look at a Facebook feed, what do people post most? You rarely see people posting the word of God. You see people posting books and articles and, and pithy quotes and tweets. And listen to me. There's nothing wrong with that. I post and tweet with the best of them. I'm not saying it's sin to do that. What I'm saying is this. Where do you look to to be filled? We live in a world, and I just want to call that to your attention, that we live in a world where there's lots of places to be filled. But only one filling will last, and that is Jesus Christ. We live in a day and age where there's lots of places to look to to be filled. Lots of places to drink from. But only one will last. Only fullness, true fullness comes to us through Jesus Christ, the God-man Jesus Christ, the babe in the manger, because he is God. And Christmas is a reminder to us that Jesus Christ, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, dwells among us today. And for Christians, dwells in us and works in us both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Philippians 2 and verse 13. What about you? Where do you turn to? Where are you tempted to look to other than God to be filled? Now I look at God, but I really look at this. Think about it. What would God have you either remove from your life or just do this? Just rearrange. So, you know, I'm going to look to the Lord first. Or it may not even be a matter of order. It's a matter of who holds the most weight in your heart. I know God's word says this, but I read this elsewhere. Who rules and who drools? Who trumps who? I just read this. I I read this on on a blog. I read this in a book. But God's word says this. Who trumps who? Who do you compare to who? Who is the lens that you look through? Is it the world that you look through at the word? Or is it the word that you look through at the world? Only fullness comes in Jesus Christ. And you will find, if you haven't already found, and I see you nodding already, not nodding off, but nodding like in agreement. Some of you are nodding off. It's a little warm. You will find that that which fills you temporarily will always leave you wanting. We've all done that. How many of you are like me in that you have looked to other things that are good but not best to be filled and found out that they eventually left you wanting. How many of you have experienced that in your life? Sure. And this is not a call to abandon all other things and just only, you know, I'm just going to all, I'm only going to read this, I'm only going to read this, I'm only going to read this, but 
It's something for us to ask ourselves. If Jesus is God, if I believe that Jesus is God, what priority does that place his word in my life? Because Paul prayed that these people would be growing with the knowledge of his will. In all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Which brings us to our next point as we continue to look at what Paul is praying for the Colossians. Uh, If you believe the babe in the manger is God, your everyday life will show it. He says it in verse 10. Look at Colossians 1 and verse 10. So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. I want you to look at three ways that you can walk worthy of the Lord right there from verse 10. First, we strive to please him. Do you see that? Above all else and especially ourselves. Verse 10 says, fully pleasing to him. Since Jesus is God, our saving faith in him radically changes how we look at life, radically changes our goals, our ambitions, as we make it a point to be pleasing to God in all that we do. How do we walk worthy? We make it a point to be well-pleasing to him in all that we do. Not perfectly, but we always think through, what's the point of my life? My point of, the point of my life is to be well-pleasing to him. Whether present or absent, we read in 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 9. Whether I'm dead or alive, whether I'm living here on earth or up in heaven, I'm going to make it a point to be well-pleasing to the Lord. Further, we look to bear fruit. Look at verse 10 again. Bearing fruit in every good work. We look to bear fruit as evidence of God's work in our lives. If we believe that Jesus is God, we're going to want to bear fruit to that effect. And I put... a. Verse in there for Matthew chapter 7, if you have a bulletin outline. Matthew 7, beginning in verse 17, says, So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Now, oftentimes when it comes to talking about fruit bearing, right, or how we know if we're walking with the Lord... People can get a little get a little offensive, and they they kind of get defensive, right? They they, they get a, a little. How can, you don't know? People say this. You can't say that. You don't know my what? You don't know my right. You don't know my heart. You don't know my heart. You can't see what's going inside my life. And the answer, according to what Paul is praying, is that that is true. We are not root inspectors, but we are fruit inspectors. You can't see the roots of a tree, but you can see what? The fruit of a tree. Now, I'm not a tree expert by any stretch of the imagination, believe you me. But you can't see what's going on underneath the ground in the roots. But you know what? Based on how much fruit that tree is producing, based on the leaves, based on the branches, based on what you see above the ground, that can give you a little indication about what's going on what? On the inside. Paul says he's praying for the Colossians to bear fruit as evidence of God's work in their lives. That's another way that we walk worthy. We walk worthy because we strive to please him, as it says in verse 10, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work. And then we strive to grow in our knowledge of God, increasing in the knowledge of God. So that's two times in two verses, in verse 9 and verse 10, that we see that the, how much Paul cares that they grow or they're filled with, the, with knowledge, with the knowledge of his will. And the more knowledge you have of God's word, the more I know of God's word, the more wisdom I'm able to act in in my life. I'm able to wisely discern things that are happening in my life because I know more knowledge of God's word. 
So it helps that lens that I look through, that lens of scripture as I live my life to be a little more clear. And it's a little easier, not necessarily to understand what's going to happen next, but to understand what I should do to please the Lord. If you believe the babe in the manger is God, then you know that he goes before you, enabling you to walk worthy, enabling you to walk worthy, because this is a tall task. Wow. I want to be filled with all, you know, filled with knowledge, discerning things, growing in wisdom. This is all a tall task. I got to produce fruit. I'm supposed to be pleasing to God in every good work. Already, I feel like I'm behind. Is this just a to-do list? Is this just some task list that I look at and I'm like, oh, 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 oh. Merry Christmas. No, because if you believe the babe in the manger is God, then you know that he goes before you, enabling you to walk worthy of his calling. Skip ahead in Colossians 1 to verse 18. Verse 18 says this. He is the what? He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. He is the head of the church. Believing in Jesus and and believing the fact that he is God, we're reminded that he's the head of the church. He's the one in control. He's the one who's able to make the church, and the church is the body of Christ, function in a way that is effective. He's the one that's able to enable us to do those things that Paul is praying for his people. I mean, look back at verse 15. Look back at verse 15. Here is the Christmas child. He is the image of the invisible God. The firstborn of all creation. God who is invisible has made himself visible through Jesus Christ. He is the image of the invisible God. Verse 16. For by him all things were created. In heaven and on earth. Visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. So here's a baby with all the blood and sweat and gook that babies have when they're born. I've seen four. Lying in a, you pick it, lying in a manger, lying in his mother's arms, lying in Joseph's arms, rolling around in hay, whatever, you pick it. He created it. Laying in a manger made of wood that he created. Being held by his mother that he created. Looking up at stars that he flung into space. I wonder if he grinned. Because he's the firstborn of all creation, the image of the invisible God. 
rolling around on the ground that he created. Eating food that he created. I mean, it's unfathomable. Verse 17, he is before all things and in him all things hold together. In him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church, and he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. He holds all things together. That's what it means to be Jesus. That's what it means to be very God, that he holds all all things together. That the reason your, your body functions the way that it does is because of Jesus. And the reason that you, we don't float out into space is because Jesus created gravity. And the reason that uh, our earth orbits at just the right speed, but not too fast that we would fall off. And is just the right distance from the sun, even though it doesn't feel that way on some mornings. But it's just the right distance from the sun so that we would not freeze or melt is because of Jesus. And the reason that everything functions together, the reason that your brain tells your heart to beat, is because of Jesus. He holds all things together. All things. So if you believe the babe in the manger is God, then you know that he goes before you, enabling you to walk worthy. That's why we read those things that Paul was praying for the church, and we're not intimidated by it. Because God makes us able to meet those needs. God makes us able to, to, to do those things. We do our best, and it's never, like, never good enough. But God bridges that gap. He enables us to walk worthy in this way. You've believed the babe in the manger is God, point number four, then his death on the cross was sufficient to save us from death. Make us like him and enable us to finish well. Look at Colossians 1, verse 21. And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven and of which I, Paul, became a minister. I want to call our worship team up to the stage and I also want to call the folks who will be helping us distribute communion up at this time. If you look at the scriptures that we just read, I want you to look at verse 21 and 22. You who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. When the Christians at the church of Colossae first received this letter, And it was first read in their hearing. When they first heard what Paul was praying for them, things we looked at together today, filled with the knowledge of the will of God, 
filled with spiritual wisdom and understanding, that they'd walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, that they'd be fully pleasing to him, that they'd bear fruit in every good work, increase in knowledge, that they'd be strengthened with power, and that they'd endure with patience and joy. Like I said, that's a, that's a tall task list. That's a lot to do on your own. And it's something that you will come up looking, you'll come up feeling empty if you look anywhere else for the strength and the power and the wisdom to do that other than Jesus Christ. But today we're reminded and we celebrate the fact that we have been reconciled by Christ in his death, burial, and resurrection. And we celebrate that in communion. Look back at verse 12. It's the middle of a sentence. In verse 11, it says, May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. Look at verse 12. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He's he's qualified you. He's made you qualified by yourself disqualified by myself never qualified but here we're reminded that God the babe in the manger who is God he has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light communion is a time when we celebrate with remembrance that we have been qualified that we've been reconciled, that we've been made worthy, not because we're so great, not because we've shaped up our lives, but because Jesus Christ came to earth through the womb of a, bir- through the womb of a virgin, lived a perfect life, and died on the cross for sinners like you and like me. And if you believe that, and you believe that he was buried but then rose from the grave, if you believe that, We want you to celebrate in communion with us. We want you to to celebrate with great remembrance that you have been qualified. That God has made you, made you worthy when you could never have been made worthy. That he has made you qualified. We want you to celebrate that with us. Whether this is your first Sunday here or, or you've been with us for a long, long time. All 12 weeks that we've been here. We want you to celebrate with us. If you love Jesus and this is something that you believe. If it's not, I want you to know that we're glad that you're here. But God's word would have you pause and have you let this pass. This celebration of communion is a time for us to reflect and to worship the God whom we love. But if this is something you're still seeking, I'm so happy that you're here. But continue seeking, continue looking, continue reading God's word. Talk to those of us who celebrate this qualification that's been given to us by Jesus Christ. And watch as the rest of us celebrate the fact that we have been made to be reconciled with God through the death and burial and resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Men, would you distribute the bread, please? As the bread is being distributed, here's what I want you to do. I want you to say to the Lord in a prayer. Show me the real meaning of Christmas and what it means that Jesus is God. 
Show me the real meaning of Christmas and what it means that Jesus is God. And ask the Lord this. Ask the Lord to call to your mind. Ask him to put his finger on any area of your life that needs to come under the authority and supremacy of Jesus Christ. Say, Lord, put your finger on any area of my life that needs to come under the authority and supremacy of the God-man, Jesus Christ.